You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, I was going to start this week's show by talking up my book, which is coming out next Tuesday, May 28th. Uh, my publisher wants me to do nothing but talk about my book for the next month and promote it. So you should all fucking go get American Savage. And I was just going to talk about the book and what was in it, but I actually can't do that. There's just too much horrible shit going on in the world. There is the Texas judge appointed by George W. Bush who ordered a lesbian couple to break up or he would take – one of those lesbian couples, you know, one half of the couple's kids away and give them to dad if the lesbian couple didn't break up. He cited a morality clause. There's the Catholic school that will not let the trans student appear at his graduation in male clothing. They're forcing him to come to his graduation in a female cap and gown. Ah, that really pissed me off. There is the gay man who was murdered in New York City steps away from the Stonewall Inn, shot in the head by an asshole anti-gay bigot. This comes on top of four other hate crimes targeting gay men in New York City in the last two weeks. There were the riots in Georgia, a small group of brave – Georgia, not the state, Georgia, the former Soviet republic. There was a riot. Fifty people staged a gay pride rally. Thousands of anti-gay protesters showed up pushed through police barricades and attacked those 50 gay pride ralliers. They were thrown onto buses by the police and barely escaped with their lives. Many were injured and assaulted. They, the crowd tried to break into the buses. They were going to murder these people. And this crowd of anti-gay psychopaths in Georgia were led. Who broke through the barricades to attack these 50 people? Priests. Priests from – the Georgian Orthodox Church led this crowd, this riot, this mob led by priests. Now, let's pretend for a second that there were 50 Christians, even anti-gay Christians, having a little rally somewhere and crowds of gay activists attacked these people. Thousands showed up to attack these people and drove them onto buses. I would have spent all day after this occurrence, I would have spent the whole day getting tweets from people saying, oh, Dan, as a gay activist, you have to condemn this, right? No one I'm seeing anywhere – and the religious right is condemning this violence led by fucking priests. So I could talk about that. I could talk about the hate crimes in New York, the guy who got shot in the head, the lesbian couple being ordered to break up by a judge. But the story that really is kind of blowing my mind uh, and those stories blow my mind. But my mind just keeps getting blown. It's been a shitty weekend to be gay and have access to the internet. Caitlin Hunt. 18 years old, going to high school in Florida, just turned 18. When she was 17, she started dating. She's a senior, 17 years old, starts dating another girl from her school who's 15 years old and a freshman. This girl is in her social circle. This 15-year-old high school girl plays varsity basketball, as did Caitlin, and they were thrown into each other socially and they began to date. Both girls apparently dated boys before but they began a romantic relationship. And then Caitlin turns 18 and her girlfriend's parents call the police and report her and Caitlin is arrested, charged with felony sexual assault, is expelled from high school all because of this consensual sexual relationship. Apparently, the parents 
of Caitlin's girlfriend disapproved of the lesbian thing, disapprove of homosexuality, and they believe that Caitlin seduced their daughter into being gay or being bi. And so they are punishing Caitlin. This girl is facing 15 years in prison for a crime that if she were a boy, she would never have been charged. Florida, ladies and gentlemen, it'll be with us until it disappears under the sea. There's just so much bad shit happening in the world right now and so much of it is directed at gay people. Michelangelo Signorelli writing in HuffPo says, this is the backlash. We are making unprecedented gains. France this weekend, a bright spot. The prime minister of France signed a law legalizing same-sex marriage in France. Meanwhile, gay people are being attacked in Georgia. We saw gay marriage come to Minnesota, Rhode Island, Delaware. Meanwhile, gay men are being beaten and shot on the streets of New York City, in the village in New York City, the site of the birth of the modern LGBT civil rights movement, being murdered. Texas, lesbian couples being ordered to break up by judges. And Florida, teenage girl, bi or lesbian, being arrested and charged with a felony. The plea deal that the prosecutors have offered Caitlin Hunt requires two years of house arrest, a year of probation, and potentially winding up on a sex offender registry for the rest of her life because she was a high school senior dating a freshman. How often does that happen? All the fucking time that happens. What's me to Caitlin or Kate as her family calls her? It's the same old homophobia. But you know what's different? Kate has a love and support of her family. This is what fucking bigots keep running into. Schools, high school administrators particularly, they used to be able to abuse LGBT kids with impunity. Knowing that that kid is probably not out to their parents – and if they were out to their parents, their parents were probably not down with the homosexuality or the lesbianism or the bisexuality or the trans thing and was bullying them too. So schools could do whatever the fuck they wanted to LGBT kids and get away with it and prosecutors in this case could too. But here's the difference. Here's what's changed. Kate has the love and support of her family. They've come out swinging. They're on her side. They've gone to the media with her story and they're defending their daughter they started a change.org petition that I am proud to say right now has 62,892 signatures. When I tweeted it out on Saturday night, it had 30 signatures. This is taking off. Go to change.org slash petition slash assistant state attorney Brian Workman. Stop the prosecution of an 18-year-old girl in a same-sex relationship. There is a free Kate Facebook group, facebook.com slash free Kate. Go and sign that petition. Go and join that Facebook group. Show your support for this girl in Florida who is being prosecuted for something that a high school senior, a boy, would not be prosecuted for because she's a lesbian and because her girlfriend's parents are bigots and homophobes who are using and abusing the law to punish their daughter and to punish their daughter's girlfriend. This is outrageous. I don't know what to do about what's going on in Europe. You know, we really are – if you're old like me, you remember a time when we used to raise money, even in my Catholic grade school, to free the Soviet Jews, free Soviet Jewry because behind the Iron Curtain, Jews were so oppressed. The anti-Semitism was so outrageous that there was a – we raised money to basically ransom Jews from the Soviet Union so they could come to America or move to Israel. We are seeing now really there's a, a, a curtain – falling across Europe. On one side, France, gay marriage. On the other side, Georgia, the Soviet Union, where they have banned gay pride parades for a hundred years. They passed a law banning gay pride parades for a hundred years. So I'm not sure what to do about Georgia, the country, and what's being done to gay people there. But I know what we can do about Kate. 
You can join her Facebook page. You can sign the petition. You can write letters. You can blog about it. You can spread the word. We can bring public pressure. That is what Kate's family, her parents who love and support her are asking people to do. They think with enough attention and attention is being paid. New York Daily News, it's in papers in Europe, it's in papers in London. It's all over the blogs. If enough attention is paid, if enough pressure is brought to bear that the state will drop these charges or allow Kate to plead guilty to a misdemeanor, which she has offered to do. But if the state doesn't, they're prepared to go to trial and then they'll really need our support. This cannot stand. They could get away with this sort of shit in Georgia. We're not going to let them get away with this shit in Florida. Not now, not in 2013. We are not going to stand by and do nothing. And by we, I mean Kate, Kate's parents and the broader community of gay, straight people who have brains and hearts and are not asshole knuckle-dragging bigots. We are not going to stand by and do nothing while this girl is persecuted and prosecuted for something that if she were a boy, she would not be in trouble for doing. Ugh. Crazy, horrifying weekend. Now on to your calls. Hi, Dan. Um, this is Natalie. I'm a 24-year-old straight female calling you from Sydney, Australia. Uh, this is about my brother. He's 30. Um, as far as I know, he's never had uh, a girlfriend or a boyfriend or been in a relationship. We're not super close, and I feel like it would be kind of awkward for me to bring it up with him. And like, it's I don't care if he's gay or straight or bi or pan or demi or asexual or whatever, as long as he's happy. But uh, I'm not really sure that he is because we're not that close. Um, so I don't know. I'm just wondering if you think I should mind my own fucking business and let him keep going, or if I should sit him down and have a super awkward conversation, or write him a letter, or. He lives alone, and uh, he comes and sees like our parents a couple of times a week, but none of us have really brought it up with him, and we're all kind of wondering. I'm so torn by, by, by questions like yours. Uh, you know, there are people out there who are alone for all sorts of good reasons. They're perfectly happy alone. You, you say that you're not particularly close. He's close to your parents. Does he ever express to your parents or anyone else that you know in the family circle – at all, that he's miserable, that this is, you know, the way that he lives and how he lives is making him unhappy. If he hasn't expressed any sort of unhappiness, don't pathologize him and, and how he lives his life. Maybe he's perfectly content living as he lives and living alone and being single. Maybe he's getting it if he wants it, whenever he wants it, however he wants it. And, you know, being told by society, by culture, by every movie you watch, by every television show you watch, and then by your siblings that there's something wrong with you if you're single and you live alone, uh, that you can't possibly be content. There must be some deep and roiling misery there and, you know, I feel for you and you're my brother, although we're not friends, I want to help you. Being pathologized like that can be exhausting and obnoxious and piss people off. All of that said, I would also throw in there, there are some people who choose to live alone, uh, never act on their sexual interests because their sexual interests cannot be acted upon and we've met and spoken with those people on this show and I'm not saying your brother is a pedophile or into centaurs or has a, you know, a fetish or a sexual interest that cannot be realized for either moral reasons or supernatural reasons. There are no centaurs. But it could be that your brother has just decided you know, he's never going to be able to do what it is that he wants to do. So he's going to build a life for himself that doesn't have partners or sex in it that makes him content. And having that scab ripped open by his sister with whom he is not particularly close would not be welcome. So maybe you should leave it alone for that reason too. That said, you know, there are people out there who somehow have it in their heads. They have the impression 
that their family disapproves. Um, they read into either awkward silences or subjects that have been avoided. They read into those silences and the, that those absences of conversation and affirmation, condemnation where it doesn't exist. And it sometimes does take a relative saying, hey, you know, if you're gay, bi or straight or whatever, we love you and we just want you to be happy. And that can make the dambers. And I've heard from people who really cut their families out of their lives because they assumed their families disapproved. And then one day mom or an aunt or a sister said, hey, just like want to lay this chit down. Just for the record, um, if you're happy, I'm happy. Um, but if there's something up with you that you're afraid to tell us, you shouldn't be afraid to tell us because we love you, whether you're gay, straight, bi, asexual, whatevs. And so I just laid out two reasons why you shouldn't talk about it and one reason maybe why you should and now I'm going to make a ruling. Say something. Maybe just say that. Hey, I'm your sister. We're not particularly close. Gay, straight, bi, whatever. Love you and want you to be happy. The end. And maybe you should say that and risk tearing that scab open because you are not particularly close. There's not a relationship at stake here. If he's mad at you for the rest of his life, if what you've said pisses him off, what have you lost and what has he lost? Really not a lot. But if he is one of those guys who is sitting there thinking my family could never love and accept me if they knew who I really was, so I'm going to cut them out. Maybe you just saying, are you gay, straight, bi, whatever, love you anyway, just want you to be happy, is what he needs to hear. So maybe you should say it. But brace yourself if he comes back to you with, I'm a pedophile centaur fetishist. Hi, Dan. I am a 25-year-old uh, man from the Midwest, and since I have become sexually active and decided to take on casual partners, I've noticed a pattern uh, with the first time that I have sex with a new partner. I don't come the first and occasionally, rarely the second time that I have sex with a new partner. Um, I don't think it's a mental block. I don't find it dysfunctional or unhealthy. I just tend to be a person of, of routine and introducing a new person, fucking a new person is obviously, you know, at least a mild upheaval of, of my previous routine. So I think it's kind of just me getting getting used to the whole thing and being preoccupied with settling in those things and being, you know, being too busy to, to get my rocks off, I guess. My question is, how, if at all, do I broach that topic with a new partner? Uh, because it seems kind of awkward to do it beforehand, almost presumptuous, you know, as if I know we're going to fuck already. And if it's not presumptuous, then it's not exactly the most seductive thing to say, you're so sexy, I'm happy to be with you, but I'm not going to come. So just so you know, um, it seems equally uncomfortable to do it afterwards. And I'm not a fan of faking it. So, and then, you know, revealing that afterwards. So I have no idea what to do. I was about to bring up why men fake it, the totally unexpected truth about men and sex by recent Savage Lovecast guest, Dr. Abraham Morgenthaler, and lay out faking it as a possible option for you, but you don't like faking it. Listen, all you have to do, I think, in a situation like this is get the other person off, demonstrate that you really are invested in their pleasure and you really enjoyed the sex. And at, when you get to that moment where it's probably the time you should come to or they're turning their attentions to you because you've gotten them off, whoever they are, very good avoidance of – gendered pronouns in your call. I have no idea what your fucking could be 
centaur babies for all I know. Um, when you get to that point where they're wondering when you're going to come or they want to make you come, they want to return the favor, you just say, hey, baby centaur, I usually never can come the first time I'm with somebody new. The first time that I get with somebody that I'm dating, I'm really into them. I just like this weird quirk in my sexuality. But I'll come next time. I sure will. But the first time, I, I it's like some weird thing. And then laugh it the fuck off. And if they seem disappointed, just say next time. Next time for sure. Next time I will blow a load down your throat that will drown your ass. But this time, because it's the first time, I can never do it. I don't know what it is. Some sort of psychological block. But next time, next time, I'm going to drown you. Hey, Dan. I'm 26, mostly straight, but curious. Um, I live in a city in the Northeast. I recently made friends with some women at a bar, and we kind of got to talking about threesomes, basically that I thought I'd make a good unicorn, and then one of the other women said that she and her husband had been thinking about trying to find one. This conversation was interesting because no one was exactly saying that we'd like to be in a threesome together, but the idea was definitely planted. I kind of forgot about it, and then a week or so later, I got an email from this woman asking if I'd like to meet her and her husband for drinks, and I said yes. So I think I'm going on a unicorn date slash audition, and I'm pretty excited about this. I don't want to mess it up, and you've given a lot of advice to couples seeking unicorns, but what about an aspiring unicorn, uh, particularly one who's never been in a threesome or been with a woman at all before? Um, any advice for me? Thanks. So have you gone on your unicorn audition date yet? I did. Ah, how'd it go? It was awesome, actually. Can I tell you what I would have told you if I'd managed to get a hold of you before the date? Yes. You can't mess that date up if you're the unicorn. You could <laughs> show up drunk and throw up on yourself and fall down and punch the waiter you almost can't fuck it up when you're the unicorn. That's why you're the unicorn. You're the mythical, magical creature that everyone's hunting for that no one can find. And when they find one, they're not going to look at the unicorn and say, well, you know, it's kind of got a scar on its back right haunch. They're going to go, <laughs> fucking A, unicorn, and overlook, you know, a, a wealth of potential sins and shortcomings and problems. So you should have gone into that situation just very calm and confident. You're the object of desire. You're the one being courted. They're the ones who should have been going in with a lot of anxiety. So how did it actually play out? Um, well, first let me tell you how it happened because it's actually sort of funny. But I was just at a bar with a, a friend of mine and I was talking about how I had kind of accidentally made out with a girlfriend recently. And it had made me think about how I would really be a great unicorn and if only there were an easy way to be a unicorn, and meanwhile, there are these two girls sitting next to us, and um, I happen, and so we, we're doing this thing where we're sort of alternately overhearing each other's conversations, and we're kind of having opposite ends of the same conversation, and so we <laughs> end up having this sort of hypothetical thing where I'm like, yeah, I would love to be a unicorn, and this other girl is like, yeah, my husband and I have totally been talking about trying that, but we don't know where to find someone, and we're just like, hmm, this is interesting. This is why people should still go out to bars and get drunk and run their mouths, because sometimes you're going to meet in the real world, not all online, or on OkCupid, yeah. or on FetLife. Yeah, exactly. The real world and bars still have a purpose. Absolutely. absolutely. So how did the yeah. date go? How, what, did it turn out? You, you were wondering if you were going on an audition to be unicorn date. Was that what it was in the end? Well, we kind of went straight from audition to opening night. Oh, so it went very well. <laughs> yes. How? Oh, okay. How did you go from... <laughs> 
Okay, what the fuck happened? Well, so we met for drinks, and, you know, we just talked about all sorts of other things, but I could tell that I was kind of not on trial in a bad way, but, you know, the husband hadn't met me, and so we were all just kind of getting comfortable together. So they bought me a few drinks, and then we all went to dinner, and this was amazing. We went to this restaurant where there was only one table available, and it was this weird, like, trapezoid shape that could only seat three. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's, it's the kind of thing where if I had made that up, you would say, like, it sounds like it made it up, yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, but it was, a si- it was a sign from God that this three-way was meant to exist. If you went to the restaurant and the only table there could seat just three people. Yes, exactly. When I write a personal essay about it, it will be called Table for Three. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, we had dinner and we drank a lot of sake. And by the end, um, at one point, the husband was in the bathroom and the wife says to me, so, you know, you can come back with us if you want. No pressure. You don't have to do anything, but if you want to. And I was like, yeah, why not? <laughs> um, and so we went for it. It's and I kind of asked her, because I am, you know, a devoted love cast listener, you know, do you want to sit down any ground rules or anything? And she was like, no, I just kind of want to try it. And I was like, okay, well, let's just, you know, and so we all kind of were just tuned in with each other and I didn't want to do anything that would be weird for them or whatever, but we all seem to be pretty much on the same page. They've been together and married like nine or 10 years and never done anything like this before. So everyone was pretty excited. Oh, awesome. Are you going to see them again? I think so. Yeah. And do they feel the same way? about how it all went? Did you get the sense that no boundaries were crossed, nobody had any, you know, watching my husband fuck somebody else, regrets mid-three-way, that it was all happy for everybody the next day? Did you wake up in their house or did you go home in the middle of the night? What happened next? I did I did wake up there um, and it was like a little weird in the morning but not really. I During, everyone was like very, you know, very enthusiastic about what was going on. And, Thanks to the sake. You know, Right. Um, <laughs> and we, uh, you know, towards the end of the endeavor, you know, we all sort of said, like, this has been going really well. Like, who knew? The chemistry is great. Like, this is something we would do again. Um, but, you know, I don't know in the in the days that, you know, it's been two days. I don't know what the fallout has been between husband and wife. You know, I they were very enthusiastic about it in the moment, but I don't know if afterwards there's been any weirdness. I haven't heard from them yet, so... Um, I, like, I think it was great, wait, and wait. I would be down to do it again. You haven't heard from them yet? Not since, no. They didn't send you a thank you note? <laughs> no thank you note, I think no. that I do think that couples, when they bring a third in, because sometimes a third goes away wondering, as you are wondering, whether – you know, they're having a fight about you, whether it was as good for them as it was for you. Because it, you know, can be more emotionally challenging. It can be more emotionally tricky for a couple because, you know, watching your husband or wife do something can like flip a person out. And maybe in the moment as it's happening, the person squelches those panicky feelings. And then after the third leaves, that all bubbles the surface. So the third will be wondering, God, I hope, you know, I really like them and I hope my presence didn't disrupt you know, cause a disruption in their marriage or their relationship. I hope they're not fighting. And I think it's important for couples to be sensitive to the feelings of the third that they've brought in and address yeah. that after the fact and say, you know, that was great. You were wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, hopefully we can do that again sometime. Hopefully we can be friends. Uh, and we both really thought the world of you and thank you for, you know, making that sexual adventure possible for us. I think it couples, if you're out there, if you're listening – unicorns, whatever, you know, a friend, you had a three-way with an ex, whatever, you send that person just a quick text afterwards to allay their fears because sometimes a third will walk away from an experience like that going, I hope I didn't cause a fight. Yeah. 
definitely. Which is what you're wondering yeah, right now. Worried. I can hear it in your voice and <laughs> that you're a little bit like, oh, I would reach out to them and say something. But what if they're fighting and they don't want to hear from me? Right? Right. And so you're sitting there waiting to hear from them. And couples, you should say something to your third post, you know, in the wake of within 24 hours. You should send that text that says, that was great. Thank you so much. Even if you're fighting, you should send that text that says, that was great. Thank you so much. Even if yeah. it did cause a disruption, you should do the polite thing and absolve the third of any worry or concern. Because even if yeah. you are fighting, the third is not responsible for causing that fight. You guys, the couple, and you know what you said here made me concerned because they didn't establish ground rules. You didn't speak explicitly about what was on or off the menu, which makes me worry that they hadn't thought that all through. They did say in the morning that, you know, they hope we can hang out soon. So I'm hoping that this is just like waiting for a boy to call and that the fact that it's been two days doesn't mean anything. But I think you're right that a thank you note is a nice idea. It is a nice idea. I think it's, it is uh, the polite thing to do. Etiquette demands it of couples that have yeah. brought in a third. Gay or straight or lesbian or whatever. Unicorn friend, fuck buddy, ex coming in to be the special guest star in a three-way. You send that person a quick text to say, thanks, that was great. Can't wait to see you again. Hope we can do something else sometime. Hang out. But your first unicorn experience, yeah. address all the other potential unicorns who might be out there listening to the podcast right now. Your first unicorn experience, pro or con, up or down. Would you do it again or not? Definitely pro. I would do it again. Did you use condoms? Was everybody safe? Yeah, we were safe. Good. Good, good, good. Well, yep. And uh, I had never been with a woman before, which was really cool and fun. And I, I feel really proud of myself for trying that out and really succeeding at it, I think. I really? think I did well. <laughs> so did you eat some pussy for the first time, Eva? I did, and I got her off. Oh, my God. Wow, first time at the plate and you knocked it out of the park. Yeah, so I, I think I'm a good unicorn. I, I feel good about my choices. <laughs> well, good for you. Keep us posted. Let us know if you hear back from them. Give us a call. I'm sure everyone will want an update. Thanks. Thanks so much for calling, Dan. Sure thing. Bye. Hi, Dan. This is a 27-year-old gay male in the South, and I am calling because I have a problem with my boyfriend. It's not so much really a problem because it's a very loving relationship. We're all we're both GGG, and um, you know I love him very much. He loves me. We've been together for about six months now uh, and living together. Um, the problem is, though, uh, he's 21, just turned 22, and I feel like he feels uh, threatened by my success. I, I'm fairly well off, and I um, I provide for him because he's uh, just getting his life set up. Uh, and then a lot of times he kind of gets upset whenever I take control or, or in some way, you know, pay for things. And I don't know, he, he seems to demand uh, being respected as an equal, which I obviously I want to do. But in, in a lot of ways, he acts very immature, which kind of inhibits me from treating him as an adult. Like he throws tantrums um, when we go out. He behaves very childishly at times, especially whenever we go out drinking and uh, a lot of times it's humiliating for me. And whenever I express my feelings and say, hey, you know, I, I'm, you're embarrassing me. Uh, can you not behave this way? Can you not, you know, blow up like this? Uh, then he gets upset at me because I'm not taking his side. Um, and so I just kind of want to know, am I, am I being an asshole? Am I, am I uh, expecting too much of him? I understand he's young. He's, he's 22. So obviously you don't have your life together fully then. But... I feel like 
either he should ask to be treated as an equal and act mature or, you know, behave the way he does, but not expect to be treated like a full adult if he's going to behave this way. I don't know. Am I, is that expecting too much? Am I being inconsiderate or condescending or in some way controlling in a passive aggressive way? I don't know. I, w- I wanted to know your thoughts because it's, it's becoming more and more of an issue coming up more and more often. You've only invested six months in this infantile brat and I think you should dump him. I think you should end it. Somebody who has tantrums and blows up in public and embarrasses you like this, setting aside the issue of age, that's irrelevant. Setting aside the issue of of income and and money and his insecurities about the fact that you're more established than he is and you're paying for a little bit more than he is, he should be fucking grateful and delighted about that. And there are people who's who are being taken care of the way you're taking care of him by partners who are a little bit more established, perhaps a little bit more – a little older, a little further along in their 20s and getting their shit together and their careers together who aren't acting like immature psychopaths about it, who don't point to that as a justification for their tantrums, jealous rages, blowups, irrational fucking psychotic breaks, whatever the fuck is going on with him. Six months you've got in this boy and it sounds like it's getting worse. And the blow-ups are coming closer together. For me, that says psychotic, jealous, controlling and you know, somebody like that often at the outset, at the beginning of a relationship, they'll only be crazy 10 percent of the time and you'll learn how to roll with those moods and hopefully diffuse them and you'll then look at the 90 percent that's great and go, OK, sometimes he's a total psychotic fucking nut. But 90 percent of the time, he's wonderful and swinging on my dick and so I can deal with that and then a couple months go by and it's 20 percent, 80 percent and then five months go by and it's 40 percent, 60 percent and then eventually you're the fucking frog in the frying pan and you're boiled or fried, whatever that metaphor is about. End it now. This is not going to get better. This is going to get worse. He has a problem and he is blaming you for it, blaming your success, blaming your kindness, blaming how you love him and how you wish to help him and take care of him. For his irrational rages and tantrums. So you need to end it. You need to draw – OK. Maybe you don't want to end it. Some people say I'm too quick with the DTMFAs. Maybe you don't want to end it. You want to draw a line and say this shit stops or it's over. I will not put up with this shit and this has nothing to do with the age difference, with the income disparity because if the shoes were on the other foot, if I was the younger one and you were the older one, if I was making less money and you were making more money and you were doing exactly what you're doing, I would be saying exactly what I'm saying. I will not be treated like this. So learn to suck it up and act like an adult in public and get a hold of your moods and rages or it's over. And if he doesn't, he's ended it. He made the choice to end it. And I predict it's not going to get better. I've been there. I've been there. I've been in exactly your shoes. Boyfriend blows up at a waiter for something that was totally not the waiter's fault, storms out of the restaurant, sees me through the window, apologize to the waiter and hand him 20 bucks before I leave to go join the boyfriend and blows up at me for not taking his side in his bullshit dispute with the waiter because I'm supposed to be his boyfriend. I'm supposed to be on his side. We're supposed to be a team. It's like, no, when you're an irrational fucking psychopath, I'm on the side of sane people everywhere, even if they're not you, particularly sane waiters. It didn't get better. It got worse. Or draw that line and say, this stops or it ends, which is as good as ending it. We noticed this week when we were digging through the calls and listening to the calls and picking calls for the show that there were a lot about 
BDSM and kink and fetish, some terrifying and some electrifying. And we're going to get to them. And whenever we have BDSM come up a lot, we like to bring in one of our very favorite guest experts, Mistress Matisse, who's joining us in the studio. And she's going to chat with me about these questions. But first, I want to say welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. And for folks who may have uh, not heard you before on the show, let's give your kink bona fides. Uh, that'll take a while. But uh, <laughs> my name is Mistress Matisse. I am a professional dominatrix. And, and I, you have been for a while. Uh, yes, longer than I care to admit. Over 10 years. Let's just say over 10 years. And it doesn't look like you've been doing it for more than 10 minutes. <laughs> I, I drink the blood of young virgins. That is what I do. It's part of, part of the perks of my profession. Uh, yeah, so I'm a professional dominatrix. I've been active in the BDSM community since I was in my you know early 20s, uh, and just a kind of a general all around pervert in so many ways. But also a really terrific writer. For years, he wrote a column here at the Stranger at the, my home paper I did. called Control Tower. I'm still very sad that it's not running the paper now. But you blog, and you have a terrific blog, which is at. Uh, mistressmatisse.blogspot.com. And everyone should go read it. And you write a lot about not just about kink and poly issues, but also about sex workers' rights. And I really do recommend that uh, you all out there read Mistress Matisse's blog, uh, whether you're kinky Thank or you. not. If you're interested in sex, and you must be if you're listening to this show, <laughs> um, bring uh, Mistress Matisse in to your uh, orbit. Your yes. intellectual orbit about sex would be really helpful for you. Um, so it's a big kink and fetish week. IML is this weekend in Chicago, yes. the International Mr. Leather Conference at a big hotel in downtown Chicago. Terry and I are going. You guys are going to have a great time. We are. It's our third ta- third or fourth one we've gone to. We like we like leather bars. Terry and I like leather bars. And what IML does, it's the International Mr. Leather Contest. It's And if you just want to get a, an impression of what being at IML is like, you can go to any number of right-wing Christian websites where <laughs> they send people into IML to take pictures of all the depravity and the men walking around in fetish wear to show you that what the gay agenda is really about. That, and, and what's funny about this is all these undercover Christians at IML, including my favorite, Peter LaBarbera. What's funny is they sneak in to take these pictures when – Everybody who's at IML is posting pictures right. to Instagram, to Facebook, to videos to Vine this year there will be. And IML itself posts thousands of pictures to its own website. You do not need to sneak <laughs> into IML to take pictures. If what you want are images, they're out there for free. Oh, no. They have to go and look really hard you at know, all those gay men. I think there's a, a, a some other reason they're sneaking into IML than what just What could to, there be? I don't know what it could be. It's baffling. But we're looking forward to maybe seeing Peter LaBobera, my old college roommate at IML this year. He has a bone for me. What can I say? Well, and who wouldn't? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah I just, and they don't blend those guys. You can always tell they're badly dressed and yeah. it doesn't, it's not good. It's not good. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah. I have a question for you. Terry and I were talking about this the other day. We'll get to your qu- callers. We'll get to your questions in a minute. We have a longer podcast. Over. We have lots of time to kill. Puppy play. Yes. What the fuck? You know, I know people who do it and I've been around people who do all kinds of animal creature play. And that's what it is. It's animal creature play, like role playing being somebody's – not their slave, their dog, their puppy and it's sort of cute and petting them on the head and them run, guys running around on the floor chasing bones and wagging their tails. And I, I don't – See what's sexy about that. <laughs> well, it's not – I mean you yourself have talked about like BDSM is play. These are games that we play with our pants off. Cops and robbers are grown up with your pants off. Right. And orgasms. What's not to like? Really? Uh, so this is – I mean did you never pretend to be a puppy when you were a kid? Did never. You? No? OK. So and no. as an adult, I've never pretended that I wanted to fuck a dog. <laughs> 
I, yeah, that that to me, I'm like, I kind of don't, I cannot viscerally identify with the fucking the dog thing, but I have seen people who were so into the role that it was charming that they were totally accessing this, this kind of like play, almost not, not childlike in the little kid sense, but this ability to immerse themselves in this imaginary persona that was free to run about the floor and bark and act like a dog acts because dogs have a great time. Dogs just do whatever they want to do in any given moment. If they want to lick their own genitals, they're just going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen any limber human puppies at IML. Limber enough to do that. The only ones I've seen licking genitals were licking other dogs' genitals. Well, and dogs do that, don't they? Uh, Maybe it's just that I don't like dogs. I mean, your kink is not my kink, but your kink is okay, whatever that acronym is, which is pretty genius. But for me, what it most closely resembles puppy play, like the way the way it just circuit breaks for me, like what is infantilism? Like I don't want to fuck a baby. Yeah, I don't want to fuck a dog. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do. I kind of get to a point where I can play this game, and it's just sort of fun in an intellectual, psychological way. It doesn't, it doesn't make my panties wet. It does not. Um, so I'm mine uh, either. Uh, Bone dry. <laughs> Although I've been in scenes with people who, okay, like pony play, really not my kink. But when I'm with someone who does it really well and they're obviously emotionally moved by the experience, I have to say I can kind of ride that wave. Mm-hmm. It's like this is not my kink but you're so into it and you're so happy to be doing it and you're so obviously turned on. Okay, happy and turned on, I can I can go. Yeah, with. I, I, I've been in that place. You can buy into somebody else's pleasure. Somebody asks you, they want to do something. It's not your thing, but doing it with them turns them on so much. You sort of in the glow of how excited they are, you get excited. Yeah. But circuit breaker like kinks. There I, are some circuit breaker kinks that are like libido killers, and I think for me. I'm, I'm not – you know, for me, like puppy play kind of goes there. Maybe it's – I just don't like dogs. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> I don't like dogs. I'm afraid of dogs. Like, OK, you're a puppy. I hope you're not a pit bull puppy because I hate those. <laughs> I understand what you mean. Yeah, the infantilism is kind of a circuit break for me. Uh, I can go a little further with puppy play but yeah. But you don't ever have clients who want to be diapered? and Isn't that a common sort of go to the pro-dom it, request because the wife won't, won't go there? It is not a common in terms of numbers request. It is it is common that no one else but a pro-dom will do it. That's mm-hmm. not uncommon because it is a circuit break for a lot of people. Uh, it is a, an unusual fetish. Um, well, yeah, you're mixing up children and effing, uh, it's, which for most of us is going to – is too squicky. It, it, yeah, it's a diaper thing. I'm like, yeah, you lost me with that one. Um, you really <laughs> – no, 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 no. Don't do anything that – I'm a pro-dom. I'm not a – Pro babies. <laughs> yeah, so it's just so I don't. I just decline those people, and there's usually somebody in every given town who kind of will, will do, do that. that, and it's not me. And God bless the women who do do it because I don't want to do it. But your kink is my your kink is not it's my kink, but your okay. kink is okay. It's totally okay. And there are people out there who want to do it with you. There's plenty of people who are into puppy play, and plenty of people who are into infantilism and diapers. But none of them are in the room with us today. No, no. Be <laughs> respectfully quiet. Looking about at that. the text heavy outfit with you. Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> Diapers? No, no, no. All right. I guess we should take some calls. Okay, let's do that. Hey, Dan. I am a 30 something year old straight ish female calling from the East Coast. And I just had a question about something that kind of creates a lot of guilt for me. And now I'm struggling even a little bit more with things that are happening in the news. I watch porn. The porn that I like to watch is more um, BDSM style porn and 
Um, I would consider myself to be submissive, and we do have a really open, honest relationship with each other. And But where my issue is coming up is watching some of the BDSM porn online and knowing what happened in Cleveland and how those women were kept and treated for the last 10 years. And now I'm having a real cognitive issue knowing that, you know, even though the stuff that's happening in porn is make-believe, but knowing that it happens in real life and I'm having, you know, something that used to make me really hot and feel great and be able to have great orgasms because of now when I watch it, all I can think about is what happens in real life and how people are actually, you know, being really hurt by this. And I was just wondering if you had any advice how I can continue to enjoy my porn, but then also separate it from, you know, the real wackos in the world. So this is a thing. I've heard about this from other people. that They have kinky fantasies. They're okay with them. They roll with them. They explore them with their partner. And then they read something in the news or they hear about some atrocity and someone being terribly abused in a way that kind of resembles their kinks and the things that they fantasize about. And they squick out. They suddenly have a circuit breaker where they didn't before. What would you say to someone in that sort of circumstance? When you hear these stories about what happened in Cleveland to those three women who were kidnapped and kept – Imprisoned and enchained and and in chains and abused for a decade, That's basically good. enslaved by this monster. You know, somebody in the kink community, how do you process that? And but, its resemblance to your your thing, or do you reject that? Does it not resemble your thing at all? I, I do reject it. Yeah, I mean that story is heartbreaking, and uh, yeah, it's it's nobody with a conscience could not be moved by such a terrible story. And so, I mean, it's it's natural that she would feel something for this woman. That's empathy, and we we like that in people. Um, you have to examine where these stories are coming from. Media now has a vocabulary that they didn't used to have that they can access and they can refer to things in ways that sound like BDSM because they know those words. Mm-hmm. And those words are inflammatory. And like they, what? Where, where have you seen words that are sort of ripped from the BDSM context applied to a case like Cleveland? So now I can't think of the, 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 the newscaster who was doing it. They were uh, People were talking about, oh, he had, he had dog leashes mm-hmm. and he put them on leashes and led them around. And they sort of reference like, you know, like they do in those porn things and BDSM. I'm like, no, I have a dog leash and I put it on people and I lead them around, but I'm actually not abusing or harming anyone. So just because he has a dog leash and I have a dog leash, that does not make us the same. Mm-hmm. But, because consent. Right. Like consent, vaginal intercourse, absent consent is rape. Right. And rape is a terrible thing. Uh-huh. You know, beating somebody up. You know, spanking somebody without their consent is assault mm-hmm. and consent is the magic ingredient that turns vaginal intercourse in a consensual context into not rape, into sex, into love, into intimacy. The same thing applies with BDSM, that consent is the magic ingredient that turns what would be assault in another context into intimacy and sex and pleasure. Right. But what do you do with – you know, when your th- – your your brand of intimacy, sex, and pleasure resembles something that's in the news or breaking. 
Well, I, I, again, let me. I, will, I have some solutions to that. Let me just point out that I go watch movies where people get blown up and die all the time, mm-hmm. I, and they're great movies. And you know, but I don't actually. When someone actually dies in real life, I don't think, oh, I should never go see another action, you know, gun ballet movie because someone died in real life, and I would feel guilt. You don't. We we make a moral separation between fantasy entertainment, whether it's sexual or non-sexual, and what would be bad if it happened in real life. Maybe it's the sexual component. I that squits people out because we live in a sex phobic culture yes. and what we have beaten into us is if there's a sexual element to it, that is a negative mm. and it's indict- It's kind of indicting that if this is turning you on and arousing you and there's, there's a sexual element to it, that it's not OK. So yeah. you watching you know, some you know, Django Unchained, yeah. which I went and saw a couple weeks after Sandy Hook yeah. and there's so many fucking guns in that movie but it is – a revenge fantasy. It is a, a, a work of art. I feel it was a work of art. I thought it was a brilliant movie and, and a work of fiction and I didn't feel – Right, because they're clearly two different things. So, you know, I wept when I read about Sandy Hook. As a parent, I wept to think you know, a couple weeks before Christmas, these, all these people lose their six – you just – it rips your heart out and then you watch Django Unchained and it's different. It, it is a fiction. Mm-hmm. And is, is that the difference for, for, for BDSM? Because you're not really a slave. You're not really owning anyone of course a, a, as no, a mistress. No. This is a fiction. You this guys are a creating a little drama together. Yes. Yeah, I mean it is called role playing for a reason. We are we are we are praying, pretending we are playing a game that we both consent to. And the moment that someone stops consenting to it, that should stop. Uh, mm-hmm. So I I think that you know we are sensitive to you know real life abuse and. Uh, crime, you know, versus our, our sexuality because we're, you know, we're sensitive and a little guilty about it. I mean, she uses the word, I feel guilty. She's always felt guilty about it. Now she feels more guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, because people were abused in a way that perhaps resembles a fantasy scenario that she had enjoyed previously and been able to tap into. But implicit in that t- fantasy scenario is the control that goes with being able to fantasize about it, being able to construct it. Well, that's, right. and that's why it's hot, right? I mean if it wasn't – if it was just a video of someone, you know, like knitting or something, well, it's – right. There's nothing, there's nothing sexy or edgy about that. I mean our, the purpose of porn is to exceed our actual life. It mm. should be more than – otherwise it's not a fantasy. Mm. Uh, so it, it – well, I'm talking about her fantasies and the shit that turns her on and the script that runs in her head. And it sounds like she's a little freaked in the, in, you know, in the wake of what happened in Cleveland – that some of the shit that turns her on happened to those girls. Right. Well, but, but I mean, yeah, she's, she is in no way responsible or for those girls or for any future girls being abused. The fact that she likes BDSM and would like to experiment with it in no way makes someone else be harmed. Mm-hmm. That is not true. And I think that – Where do you think BDSM desire comes from? Um, again, I think it's a question of I, I want – porn fantasies and I want sexual fantasies that exceed um, my real life, mm-hmm. that take you know, my regular sexuality to this edge. So uh, I, I think it's a desire for more emotional intensity, more psychological intensity, and in some cases more physical intensity as well. Um, if she says something about her boyfriend doesn't want to spank her because it's not his thing, which is fine for him, but it's clear that she has some desires that aren't being met and which is only going to make the fantasy of them hotter. I think – 
one of the things that may be squeaking her out is this magical thinking that some people who are kinky get into when they hear about a story like this, that this stuff wouldn't exist in the world if I didn't have these fantasies, that you are somehow yeah. complicit right. in the violence and sexual violence that goes on in the world. When it's actually, I think, the other way around. There is sexual violence in the world and that gets processed through people's you know, reptile brains and their fear centers, which are, I think, very closely uh, sort of placed with their erotic brain and erotic imaginations. We process those fears and then out come these, you know, ways of experiencing these terrifying things where you're completely in control mm-hmm. and it becomes arousing. It's like cops and robbers. Well, that's how, that's how you process fears, though. You make them less scary. And that's... By I mean, seizing control of them. Yeah. Which, in a way, is what kink and SM fantasies do because... Once you add that ability to consent, withdraw consent, and that you add that uh, thick layer of pleasure right. and it's, reward. It's hot. It's hot. But yeah, it, it, if there was no BDSM porn, bad things would still happen. Right. BDSM does not create abuse. I think bad things creates BDSM. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you actually. That part of our erotic imagination is pulling in all these fears and sometimes the negative shit that goes on in the world, some of it sexual, and making boner aid out of those lemons. Yeah, I hadn't actually hadn't thought of it exactly that way, but uh, yeah, I would I would agree with that. I mean, so, there's so many women. You know, I'm reading a, a really terrific book by Daniel Bergner, "What Women Want." Right now, there's so many women who walk around feeling really torn because they have rape fantasies mm-hmm. and they feel like they're somehow by having these fantasies contributing to rape culture when it's actually rape culture, the threat of rape that just permeates and oppresses women at all times, that creates those fantasies. It's not those fantasies that create the risk of rape. Right. Exactly. And I, I think this is a really kind of constant theme is that women in particular and I think to all people to some extent are supposed to police their own thoughts and emotions so that they don't affect the culture when it's yeah, the opposite way around. I am not, I am not responsible for keeping someone – keep myself from being raped. The people should not rape me. Right. It's not my thoughts and feelings that make them do that. But the awareness that, that rape is a thing, that it happens, that it happens to a lot of women, that it could happen to you – for some women, that that then the the you know subconscious mind spits that back out as a yeah. rape fantasy, and then I get letters, you know, and I get calls from women who are just torn that they have these fantasies as if they somehow made some conscious choice to yeah. inculcate them in themselves. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I've heard a lot of that too. And, and they're really somehow sad. pushing and driving something that's bad in the culture by having these fantasies. When the reality is, you have these fantasies because this bad shit exists in the culture, and this is how your brain helped you process it and make, in a way, perversely, something positive out of it for you, privately, sexually. Yes. And I would say that to this caller. You know, you have these fantasies. Right. Yeah. As a result of this sort of horrible thing happening, these sort of horrible things don't happen because you have these fantasies. All right. I would agree with that. So what I might say to her is like, is there something she could do that would sort of soothe her own emotional situation? Can you I mean, uh, could you contribute to a victims fund? Can you go volunteer for every kinky orgasm? You have to put five dollars in the victim fund jar, and you're if that makes you feel like it's balancing out something in the universe, if that's what you need to do, then I think you should do that. I mean, make it. Yeah, I mean, make bonerade out of out of it in your sex life, but go out into the world and make a difference and make a change, and you can do that. Uh, so you can, not that you have to. It's not like you have to. Do reparations for your kinks or your sex life. But if it makes you feel better. Right. Yeah. No, you don't, you're not required to. It's not that you've done something wrong. But if but, it motivates you to make a little positive change in the world, then right. why not? I'm, I'm, you know I mean. I'm all about, oh, social justice, change things. Yes. 
so I, I – and just personally, no, don't – please just try to enjoy your sexy orgasms without worrying about the Because you didn't create the problem. Right. The problem created you. In a really, I, I think that's where those kinks come from. Yeah, it's in terms of the the, the, the force, the over, you know, being overwhelmed. Uh, I think a lot of the rape stuff might play into. It's like you don't really want to be raped. You do want to feel that someone is so on fire with desire for you that they they would, but they're not going to. Mm-hmm. But they but they want you, and and, and that's often of. what people in Daniel Bergner's book, what women want, talk about that they right. want to. They want to feel like someone wants them so badly that they would, but they're not because they want them to be doing what they're doing. Right. Even though from the outside it looks like the bodice-ripping cover of some horrible romance novel where they're being ravished, right? As opposed to rape. Ravishment, not rape. Right. Ravishment, consent. Right. Rape, no consent. So yeah, in, in, in real life there's, you know, there's a fine line to be walked there with the consent thing. But in your fantasy, it's okay to feel like you want someone to just sweep you up and take you away and have their way with you. That is totally okay. And a lot of people's – you know, when you talk about fantasies, you, you brought up mainstream movies and big Hollywood pictures. You know, all these movies where New York is being destroyed, where the earth has been destroyed, where there's a zombie apocalypse. These are about making our worst fears – Palpable, real, putting them on the screen, sort of, and with through you know through an experience, a cathartic experience, living it and then walking away from it. Right, and that's what caller your kinks are for you. It is this fantasy, it is this fiction, it is this story where you can live your worst fears, which is may have been going on in that house in Cleveland. Your oh worst God. fears, and have a cathartic experience, and then walk the fuck away from it. So, yeah, I mean, in, in a BDSM scene in real life is certainly often a cathartic experience. And even just fantasizing it out uh, is kind of a smaller scale one. Hi, Dad. I'm 29 from San Francisco. I recently begun uh, exploring my kinkier side after being in a relationship that was pretty vanilla for several years. I'm also dating online as a kinkster looking for someone with my mutual interest. And um, I've been pretty open about what those interests are without getting explicit. Uh, I've said in my online profile that uh, I'm dominant and kinky and into BDSM. And I, I feel like since I've been more open about that, I've gotten fewer responses, but I feel like it might be by expressing those interests that maybe uh, people are perceiving me as um, being only interested in sex or that I uh, may be offending them. I was curious about how you felt about being open about your sexual interests in a profile and how important that is, whether it might be better to conceal that until you go out a few times or or, uh, tone it down or something. So um, I'm just going to note in passing this. This man did not say the gender of who he was looking for. Are we, are we going to think that he's looking for women? Or I think he's looking for women is because you know if he was a 29 year old gay dude, y- you can kind of be that explicit in gay personal ads, and you're still going to get responses from guys who are looking for that. Well, that's what I thought too. But I thought, well, I'll be in the room with the foremost expert on what gay dudes want sexually, <laughs> so uh, maybe I'll ask him. But so okay, uh, uh, okay. I think he's looking for uh, for women, and you know what I think is funny is that he's not 
he's talking about his OK Cupid profile or something. You know, if it's FetLife, you can be that explicit. If it's OK Cupid or Match.com, you can't be that explicit. Christian Mingle, <laughs> maybe you can be that explicit. Well, it's funny. So yeah, I thought what site to I'm going to say that the Match.com and OK Cupid are two ends of the spectrum because OK Cupid is actually pretty king friendly and, and pretty raucous and pretty poly friendly and yeah. It's, but, but there's a lot of people there who are you know it, it attracts a really perhaps urbanist mainstream kind of crowd. Yeah, I mean urban alternative. I mean mainstream, yeah. but still, yeah. The urban mainstream. If we're going to finally slice it, yeah. But he, but here's the thing: even women who uh, I think even women who may be kinky may be interested in a guy who's a little into dom or BDSM will look at you saying on Match.com or OkCupid that you're dom into BDSM and think that displays really bad judgment. Hmm. You think so? Yeah. I mean, I, would still, I, I think a lot of women would say, oh, well, what he wants is not what I want, even if they've got a well-thumbed copy of Fifty Shades. On but the I think there are some women who want what he wants who aren't going to respond to him because they think he has no judgment or sense. Hmm. Well, that's, that's what you look for when you look for a romantic partner. You don't just want somebody who ha- shares your sexual interests. You want somebody who is, isn't an idiot. And it's kind of an idiot <laughs> move to, to, to roll this out in, in an, on a site that ain't fat life. I, I, OK. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on this one. Um, I have dated from online and I, I, I actually have a few you know, special features about myself <laughs> that um, you kind of have to roll out in a certain way. Uh, I think it is possible – Your parasitic twin you refer to. I right. Think. Right. You don't, don't, Audrey, don't your say parasitic that about twin. her. She's very sensitive. Uh, <laughs> no. I mean I'm a pro-dom. I'm kinky. I'm bisexual. I'm poly. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of things about me actually. And I actually have developed a system for kind of disclosing all these things. But I think – And you work for the IRS. Which is very much in the news this week. I'd like to work for the. I'd like to be there in house because you could be bossy when you work for the IRS. Uh, I, yeah, I, I think I, I think maybe this is a question of just too much. Like I think if you're putting the word BDSM in there, yeah, it's a little too much. You can allude to not being vanilla because you want to kind of pre-qualify a little bit, right? You know, mm-hmm. people's time and so I. It's the conundrum always though for kinky people when it comes to online personals, and maybe you're better able to speak to this than I am because I've been with Terry for twenty fucking yeah. years almost. So I never dated online. Oh my! God. I met Terry before online happened, <sighs> right? You're so innocent. Okay. And the problem for kinky people dating online is – or kinky people dating at all is when do you disclose? Because you might scare somebody off. You know this from going mm-hmm. to kink events. There's two kinds of people you meet there. People who are kinky when they were 12. They were tying themselves up when they were 13 to 14 years old. They've been kinky forever. And somebody who fell in love with somebody kinky and got kinky and enjoys it now and is kinky mm-hmm. but had to fall in love with somebody kinky and sort of – yeah, I think there's some middle ground where that. Yeah, I've, I've always kind of wanked this secretly, but I never really thought it was real. And then I kind of got older and thought, oh, maybe I should actually kind of try to see because I saw a movie or I read a book or whatever. So, so, yeah, so I agree. what's the approach? If you say I'm kinky out of the gate, you're going to scare off somebody who may have fallen in love with you and then gotten into your kinks and realized that they spoke to them too. Mm-hmm. Or do you do, or do you like withhold that, let them fall in love with you, and then say, oh, by the way, I, first four dates? Okay, I mean, I think you. I think you can allude to your profile on like, yeah, I loved X book or this movie. There's lots of little code words that you X book. I'm oh, like Fifty Shades, Shades of Grey or, or any like any lots of other books about kinky stuff. Yeah, fine. Don't let me say, say that word over and over again. <laughs> God help me. And I, I don't bear the author any personal malice. It's just that's an awful. It's just you're such a fan of the English language. 
language. Right. <laughs> so God bless her. Bless her heart. But um, so, yeah, you can reference books or movies that have a kinky theme. You can kind of say, you know, I try to be – I don't think you should get into too much sexual detail at all in these profiles. But, I'm, you know, I like to be adventurous in bed. You know, there's lots of these little code phrases that you can sort of And use. you know what using the code phrases it demonstrates? Yeah. Good judgment. Right. Going back to what you were saying. Right. Part of what people are looking for when they're looking at people's personal ads online are people who are not idiots. And there are a lot of idiots out there. And even if you're kinky, you see somebody's ad and it's too much information. Yeah. You look at it as a kinky person and go, this person is an idiot. This person is kinky like me, but they're an idiot kinkster. Because they wouldn't be saying this shit in this venue at this volume if they had any sense. And I don't want to date somebody even as a kinky person who has no fucking sense. Uh, yes, I would agree with that statement. I just love how passionate you are. He's just getting so <laughs> ooh, with the passion. Well, it, 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 it drives me nuts. Uh, well, yeah. So I, I would mean I would agree. And uh, w- women in in general, I think, uh, disqualify men and a lot. So if as you, they should, because men are dangerous, testosterone-soaked violence monsters. <laughs> when you look at you know intimate partner violence. Look at the way women are raped and abused by their intimate partners. Women are most likely to be murdered at the hands of their boyfriends or husbands and women should be choosy and wary and picky. Yes. And you don't want to put something in your profile that demonstrates bad judgment. That isn't an arguable statement. Uh, So yeah, I mean my – I'm trying to think of when I was shopping. Certainly I would not have been but you're right. The bad judgment thing is – and maybe you need to balance out – I don't know if you need to put like you're admiring Gloria Steinem if you're in there, if you're kinky. But you know, that's like – try to look at your profile as a – it needs to be a balanced thing and not have tilted too heavily towards your holy sexual things because yeah, of course say, – Say you're sexually adventurous. Say you're looking for somebody who has that same sense of sexual adventure and then on the date, she'll ask you what kind of sexual adventures you meant. Right, because you're going to. And I – yeah, before – first four dates – First four dates, you need to disclose. King cards on the table. Right, right. Preferably before you sleep with someone, but certainly before you sleep with them the, the second time. I disagree. You think so? Yes. Okay. Well, I just think that with so many people, there's such a stigma attached to kink that dating somebody for a couple of months and sleeping with them a few times to demonstrate that this vanilla thing, uh-huh. you can do it, you're good at it, you like it, their you know, vanilla desires and needs will not go unmet if yeah. they date you and then rolling out your kinks and saying, here are some other things that I'm interested in. These are other things that I enjoy and I'd really love to do them. With you and without, you know, shit canning forever, these other wonderful vanilla everyday shit that we've been doing. Well, I think that's true if you're willing to go on having vanilla sex with that person as well as kinky sex. I think if you – if this is a deal breaker for you, if you have to have this. Have to have the kink mixed in. Right. Then I I think you should disclose that before you have sex so they can make an informed decision. I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. But if you're willing – if you can kind of, you know – Go both ways, as I would say in this context. If you can provide your partner with good vanilla sex, you know, and you want them to also provide you with your kinks too, and that's a balanced thing. I think it's, but uh, yeah, they will. They will ask. Uh, a BDSM author named uh, Joe Bean that I've always admired, who wrote some good books, had a phrase that he used: uh, "seducing consent." And I like that phrase because it's. It, I have. I have seduced a lot of consent. Uh, even if you get someone who is, you know, not very kinky at all, but maybe curious, uh, if you can seduce them along, you can make the experience so hot and sexy at every phase that they want to keep going. And I find that really super hot. Uh, I know some people in BDSM have fantasies about like a fantasy of doing something where the person is pretending to not consent and saying no, no, stop that. That's that's cool, but that's you know as long as you actually have. 
have the consent. That's not my thing. I love doing things that people would never let anybody else do in a million years. But when I do it, they like it and, <laughs> and they want me to do it. I love that. I get a, I get a total rush off that. So you can approach people who, you know, you could say I'm a little kinky and they might say, oh, I don't know. It's like, you know what? Let me, let me make this good for you. Let me seduce you along. Let me make this so hot and so good that you'll just want it. And that, I think, is a rush and it's hot. Oh, my God. I want it now. <laughs> you describe it like that. <laughs> so what's in the minds of a kinky girl, not very experienced, who's looking around online? Oh, my God. That's a scary place. It is a scary place. Uh, if she, Because if she's been online, in, in, I mean, women in general get a lot of uh, attention online, and some of it's kind of weird and uh, freaky. Uh, if you're not used to that sort of thing, which as a sex worker, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of used to that. <laughs> <laughs> and you know how to deflect it. But will yes. some novice sub girl who is looking for a first encounter with a dom guy be able to deflect sort of bullying, entitled, assholey attention? I, I would like that to be true. Too often it is not, which is why I would say just parenthetically, if you are a submissive girl – Please try very hard to find some way of meeting people besides just online or at least make them give you references. And this is totally not an unusual thing. Do not just meet some guy online and go off and meet him and nobody knows him and nobody knows where you're going. Just because he said so, please don't do that. Please, please, please don't do that. Uh, that is not a thing that you have to do. Anyone and if he who, says you wouldn't ask me for references if you were really submissive. You tell him Mr. Matisse said fuck you. And you run. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You don't go to his trailer and end up dissolving in a 50-gallon drum behind his house. Do not do that. Uh, And, you know, such things are mercifully rare, but they do happen. Uh, More commonly, you're just not going to have a good experience, uh, Mm -hmm. and that's not good. You don't want to have that. There's some assholes who fly under the sort of DS kind of protocols radar, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. and give their assholery free reign and think it makes them more attractive and more truly dominant when it just makes them assholes. It does. And it's an exploitive posture. It does. And the good thing about having a community is usually people know who that guy is. I write about this in my new book, the importance of a kink community and why it exists. And in part, it's for that. It's for that sort of sharing of wisdom because people are going to have these desires and people can get hurt if they act on them. Absent any sort of input, absent, absent any sort of accountability and part of what a, a kink community can create is accountability for the bad. Yes. Yeah. People, people will know. People will say. Uh, and I don't I'm, – I'm not endorsing like a, you know, a slandering campaign but no, people get to talk about their experiences uh, and if people are saying that they didn't have them with you, you need to pay attention to that and change your behavior. Yeah. For the gay boys, we're, we're like so far off the caller's question but fuck the caller. Um, good luck. Uh, <laughs> take your BDSM flag off your Christian Mingle profile and put it on your fat life profile <laughs> caller. But like for the gay boys, you go to a site like Recon which is the, the big kink site for kink personal ads for gay guys who are kinky and one of the I think most brilliant aspects of the site is there there's a friends thing. So yeah. you can look at the guy's profile and then you can see who his friends are and you can contact those people through the site. You can email them independently without having to go through the person mm-hmm. and you see somebody's ad. You know, I have kinky friends in their 20s who are just exploring and out there and taking some risks. You see somebody's ad that you like and you can write to their – you can see if they have no friends at all. That's a little questionable. That's a red flag. Yeah. And, you know, if they're not very experienced like you and that's maybe not – but there's some like Dom Top who has been doing it for 20 years and he has no friends. No one will friend this guy. That is an indication that maybe you don't want to be tied up by that guy. You should at least proceed very carefully, very carefully. And that's the importance of kink community in creating those sort of accountability loops. 
I think so. I mean, I'm going to just builds in, trust. In, inject here that I, you know, anyone can say anything online. So it's important to kind of assess this critically in the whole spectrum of things and not just, oh, this person, someone said he was an asshole, so he must be an asshole. Mm-hmm. You know, look at the whole picture, but factor that in carefully to your um, to your uh, assessment of the, is this a safe thing and is this an okay thing? Because, yeah, not everyone in the kink community is just by being at a party a great person. Hi, Dan. Big fan of the podcast, and obviously I have a question. I'm a straight, dominant man in my 50s living in a major East Coast city and looking for a female submissive partner. When I date in the vanilla world, it's frankly pretty darn easy. And I always end up with a well-educated, very attractive, successful professional woman you know, who's great and tells me that I'm great as well, thoughtful, masculine, all-around nice guy, but there's always something missing, and frankly, it's the kink. So for the past five years, I've been also looking around to meet someone for a nice B, uh, DS relationship on some of the online BDSM sites. I also have attended some of the occasional BDSM munches or events. I also explore some kink with my vanilla partners, but never develops into the degree that I'd really like. I've had in several DS relationships, all lasting six to 18 months, but never one that could really blend that day-to-day vanilla life with a good amount of kink. So they eventually turn into play partners or just friends, which is really unfulfilling. Unfortunately, there are three big problems I've discovered. The first is the ratio of available dom men to available sub women is generally about 25 to 1. So a new show, uh, a new submissive shows up in an event or puts an online profile up on a site and she is inundated. At munches, the available women my age are non-existent, and if there is one, it turns into a dom feeding frenzy. One woman I met put up a new profile on a BDSM site and received over 200 messages in the first 24 hours. Plus, you know, after they get home from a date with me, they've got another 100 emails from other guys, and there's always someone cuter and hotter and more dom, whatever. Uh, Second I found, and I think this might be BDSM's dirty little secret is that the pool of unattached submissive women truly includes a significant percentage that have been emotionally damaged in some way, perhaps by a previous dom who were really an abuser, perhaps while they were growing up through sexual assault, or they just simply have some serious emotional issues that makes them really undesirable and at times a little scary. And I know it's not easy for women sifting through all the players and married guys and guys just looking for online fantasy and guys just looking for some kinky sex, not you know, who aren't looking for a real relationship. But the female pool seems really limited. And lastly, having done tons of online vanilla dating, speed dating, etc., there always seems to be a good balance of slender, average, and big women. And I prefer the thin to average women. While in the BDSM community, it seems to have a huge, no pun intended, percentage of big and really big women. So what's a nice, educated, mature guy to do other than keep plugging away while I'm getting more and more frustrated by the day? Thanks, Dan. So this whole time we were listening to the call, you were kind of miming the shower scene from Psycho there in the corner. (laughs) Get it off your chest. (laughs) Okay. So I I don't know this man. I only know what I've heard. What I heard as a kinky woman – did not make me think, wow, what a great guy. I really wish I could date him. Yeah, it did not make me think that it really – this – what he said in this message is so 
awful and annoying and insulting. And you're not a big woman. Let's like get that out of the way. I this isn't don't. about his comments about women of size in the kink community. No. Well, I mean, it's not not because I am a woman of size, right? I I am still. You uh, have a size. You are. We are all some size, <laughs> but you're not a woman of that size that people mean when they say woman of size. No, I am. I am a conventionally attractive, intelligent, well-educated, you know, professional woman. All these things that you know that he said he wanted, and I don't mean to sound arrogant, but I'm guessing if I went to a munch and he saw me there, he would talk to me because that actually happens to me. Uh, so, so okay, let's just. He spends the whole time talking about what's wrong with all these women. It's like, dude, those women are not on this planet to please you and accommodate you and give you what you want. You are not entitled to that. You are entitled to pursue whatever dream of a relationship you are you are having. And it doesn't sound like he isn't having romantic success. He's having dating relationships with women he meets in vanilla contexts that turn into relationships where there's a little bit of kink play, which is more than a lot of kinky people get right. in their lives. And he's also had these relationships with subs that kind of went like gangbusters for six or 18 months and then wound down. Like many relationships do. Right. <laughs> Both kinky and vanilla. That's not an uncommon theme. And I think it's more – actually, I think it's a little more common sometimes in kinkland. Like two people come together. There's this like hot DS dynamic and you reach the sort of ends of it. It plays itself out. You've shown each other yeah. the, the total bag of tricks and it sort of then turns in – as he said, a lot of these relationships, they turn into friendships. Right. Well, OK. So – yeah, DS. There's kind of let's talk about DS. Is specifically refers to like the psychological role playing elements, not like the physical hands on part. Mm -hmm. DS is extremely hard to maintain in a long term romantic, primary romantic relationship. Why is that? Uh, because it thrives on distance and mystery, uh, a polarized, highly polarized roles, and it's. I, I have met a few couples who claimed that they were able to sustain that level of DS in a long-term like romantic relationship. I can count them on one hand mm -hmm. uh, because once you've kind of like lived with someone and slept next to them and washed their underwear and held their hair back when they had the flu and it's like you can't put this person on the pedestal like, oh, this is my master. This is my mistress who's all powerful and I will kiss their feet every morning because I – very few people can do that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I have met a lot of people who I think had really unrealistic fantasies of being able to combine a romantic partner with this fantasy persona. So maybe what he needs to do besides work on not sounding like an entitled dick is recognize that perhaps the best model for him is a romantic relationship that – doesn't involve a lot of DS but maybe a little kink with somebody that he can bond with, that he shares a lot with and is an open relationship and he can pursue some DS short-term relationships on the side. That would certainly be the most pragmatic uh, choice. Is that life. what you typically see um, out there in the real world? Well, I mean polyamory of any kind is always kind of fraught with peril but that is certainly because no, – This wouldn't be poly. This would kind of be open, right? Right. Well, yeah. I suppose you're right. It's some, some form of non-monogamy. I mean technically you can do DS and BDSM without having genital sex. That's totally a thing that you could do. A lot of people want to have genital sex. Uh, people. Peep kids today and their genital <laughs> sex. With that. <laughs> we were doing that in the 80s. Just, let's just acknowledge though that it is possible um, <laughs> even if I don't want to do it. Uh, we have to read, Some people don't have genitals. So it's like – we're showing our genital privilege right now. Oh, we have to you're check right. our genital we, privilege. Do, do I need to think, think of Barbie, think of Ken, this? think of G.I. Joe. <laughs> 
I, you know, I had those dolls when I was a kid, and they actually, I, they had a hot sex life <laughs> in, in my room. Oh, yes. Uh, so, okay. So he can change his expectations and he can change his behavior. Is uh, there this disparity in the kink community where there's 25 kinky guys for every sub? I, he exaggerates. Um, in any alternative sexual community, there's usually more women than men because, hey, um, men are actually a little more able to pursue alternative sexual stuff in many cases with slightly less fear of crushing social disapproval, mm-hmm. um, uh, which is a long way of saying they're less likely to be, you know, to fear being assaulted if there's they a, go to a munch. There's a kink space here in town, in, in Seattle, where we both live, called the Center for Sex Positive Culture. They run the Seattle Erotic Arts Festival. It's a terrific organization. They're awesome. We've both been to some, a lot of events so there. Events. And my experience, I've never been to a munch, but my impression is that it's kind of a matriarchy. When I go to an event that Seif is running, it seems to be a, a lot more women around uh, at the at the events and, and running them and and being and organizing that community than men is that impression wrong? Uh, you know, this might be um, a regional thing. I feel it in Seattle that is true too. Although um, he's sort of talking about like new women coming into the community, and as he later goes on to you know he is specifically sorting for a body type and a you know mm-hmm. a, a certain level of you know the things that he wants. And there's nothing wrong with being attracted to people that you're attracted to. No one is attracted to everyone. That's perfectly valid. It's kind of really tacky and mean to talk badly about people's bodies that you don't like because you don't like them. Uh, so how about you just don't do that? How about you just say, <laughs> I'm not attracted to every woman I meet? Totally valid statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, but don't don't be trashing on women because you think they're emotionally damaged or you think that their bodies aren't what they should be. That's really – that's not if, – if I – like if you wrote this as a blog post and I saw this and, and I would go, oh, wow, that guy's a jackass. So – I understand that you're frustrated, but... We're back to the bad judgment thing. Bad judgment, But even if that's how you feel, you wouldn't say that because that's going to turn off conventionally attractive, skinny, hits the same gym I do. (laughs) Mistress Matisse, hearing you disparage the the bigger women who are part of the king community, pisses you off so much you wouldn't touch this guy. Right. I would. I would would feel like... And, you know, we don't have a picture of this guy and it doesn't really matter what his body looks like, but... Especially if you live in a glass house, I'm just going to say you shouldn't throw stones. And a lot of people just going to throw that out there. So well, there's dom guys out there, straight dom guys, who would never go to a gym who expect – who feel entitled to. Not all of them. We don't want to pay with a broad brush ourselves. A lot of them are really awesome. But there are some who feel that even though they've completely gone to seed, that they are somehow entitled to a nymph. Yeah, even if you have two really healthy, loving, motivated people and maintaining DS and a long-term relationship is hard to do. There is also a subcategory of people who uh, feel drawn to a heavily dominant, submissive sort of role play and psychology of, of a relationship because they want a level of control that I think is unhealthy over somebody else. They have fears and anxieties that and it doesn't always veer into abuse. I'm not saying that you can just be kind of a controlling jerk mm-hmm. and you know always whether you're kinky or not right uh, but I, I sometimes people see king and cds and think oh this will be a fit for me because i always want to go to the restaurant that i want to go to and i want the dishes stacked in the cabinet the way i want them I want and the I, toilet paper to go over the roll under the roll right and so i would say you know you could really need to examine 
why you are so insistent on having a DS relationship in your primary romantic relationship. It's not even you could get it somewhere else. It's like, well, why do you need that? And since you have these relationships that don't work out, what is the common – I mean, if you could go back to the women that you dated and ask them and hear what they said, it would be interesting to, for them to ask them – for you to ask them, why didn't – like, what did I do that wasn't – cool, what, what, what didn't you like about me? And sometimes it'll just be like, yeah, we ran out. And maybe he did nothing wrong. Maybe the DS dynamic, just the air went out of it eventually. Right. Because as you've said, it seems to be unsustainable in a long-term intimate partner context. And not everyone is partner material, right? It's, it's, I mean, so yeah, that's totally valid. But it's, you know, if you were able, in a fantasy world, if you were able to get some kind of feedback and they all said, yeah, you never wanted to go to the restaurant that I wanted to go to and I just got really resentful But I'm about the dom. That. I get to pick the restaurants. Right. That's not, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. So being a dom is not a, a, like a good cover for just I want my way all the time. That's not going to work out well for you. Because people, a, a normal healthy person is not going to sit still and be keep dating someone who d- never gives them what they want. She wants a dom, not a dick. Basically, yeah, yeah, she does. And any, 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 you know, because he wants this really high functional woman. He wants her to be professional and successful. It's like, well, guess what? She's not gonna, yeah, she's not gonna, not get her way. She's not gonna let you be a dick. Basically, um, so. don't be a dick. <laughs> it's a really short answer. That's kind of our short answer for all the for the last few questions. Just don't be a dick. Why don't people just do what we say? Like, if they would just only do as we say, the world would be a better place. <laughs> Spoken like a true Dominatrix. Dominatrix. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm so happy to have been here. So glad I could come. Thank oh. you for having me. Mistress Matisse, read her at mistressmatisse.blogspot.com. Did I get that right? Um, yes, you did. I have a very active Twitter feed uh, at Twitter backslash Mistress Matisse. So follow me on Twitter. I follow Mistress Matisse on Twitter and so should you. More calls after this. Uh, hi, Dan. I'm a mid-20s straight female in an open relationship with a early 30s bi male. We're actually in a really happy relationship. My call really isn't about our relationship. It's actually about the relationship we have with his family. As a bi guy... Coming out to his family was really important to him. He happens to have, you know, a female partner. So if he felt like it, he could do that thing that you don't like where they just pretend that they're straight and kind of go on about it. And they don't have to come out like gay people do because, you know, they can just hide in plain sight kind of thing. So he really wanted to come out to his family. And I totally supported him in everything that he was doing. And he calls his mom, who was crazy, and is is really excited and really nervous. And he goes to tell her, hey, mom, I'm bisexual. And she goes, I know. And how she found out was, you know, really horribly invasive, in my opinion. She ended up finding his Reddit account, actually. And she went through literally 30 pages of information on his Reddit account, and she got a whole bunch of information that she was never supposed to receive. Um, Stuff about how he's bi, he's poly, we're super, super, super kinky. And it really kind of took away not only his thunder, but was really like a huge breach of privacy. Well, now, so they're they're kind of working through that. Um, She said some really, really offensive things like, oh, well, you're bi and you're kinky, and you're poly, when do you graduate to pedophilia? Which, you know, is really, really upsetting. Not not only to him, but to me as well, because her finding this information also outed me. 
so now she's making a huge deal out of a lot of this, even though we've tried to explain it to her. Um, I'm the next person that gets to talk to her since I do a lot of adult education on non-monogamy and BDSM. Um, I, I guess I'm just not sure how to talk to her. Um, I've never really engaged in conversation in anybody who's got her mindset, which is a very evangelical catholic one. Um, I know to be polite, be respectful, understand that she's going to say stupid shit that is going to offend the absolute crap out of me. Um, but I was wondering if you had any advice on this. Thanks. I'm not on Reddit and I don't know exactly how Reddit works. I was once asked to do an ask me anything and I didn't think anything of it because I never heard of Reddit. I'm a late adopter and I'm not very tech savvy. I apologize. Um, now the president's done it and so I can't do it. I'm not famous enough these days. Uh, but if your boyfriend had this profile on Reddit and it was somehow discoverable or was under his own name, the fact that his parents found their way to it isn't that shocking. Parents are curious about their children's lives and will go hunting and pecking online looking for info. So I wouldn't say that his mom finding his way to Reddit and reading stuff that he had publicly posted about himself and his sex life is – Technically an invasion of privacy, if you're posting it online, it ain't private. And if it's posted in such a way that your folks are going to find it or likely to find it or it is discoverable through non-snooping methods, then it isn't private and your privacy wasn't invaded. Mom just did what moms do and read and read and read and read because they have nothing else to fucking do. That's that. She said horrible, fucking, stupid, ignorant shit about her son. It seems to me that you can come to his defense. You could speak to her. I wouldn't have a conversation with her. I wouldn't sit down with her. Write the fucking dumb bitch a letter and lay it out in a letter. Why subject yourself to some screaming argument with a psychopath? We know she likes to read. How many pages of shit did she read on Reddit did you say? 30-some plus pages of whatever the hell where she discovered her son was bi and poly and kinky. Lay it out that pedophilia is not – the uh, natural progression from Polly and Kink and buy and that's very bigoted and lay out what your relationship is about and send her a couple of books and then back the fuck off. She isn't your mother. When you're in relationship with someone, managing the relationship with the parent on both sides is the job of the child of whatever parent is being talked about. He manages his relationship with his mother. You, your job as his partner is to be kind and polite and blasé and chatty and breezy with mom. She's insulted you too, the shit that she said to him about who he is sexually. She insulted you too. You have, I think, then license to write her a letter and reach out to her and say, do your sex ed thing. Talk about bi, talk about poly, talk about kink. And then send her a couple of books and say, happy belated Mother's Day. And the next time you see her, just breezy, 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 chat about shit and stay off this subject. But let him do the heavy lifting of running his mother, running his relationship with his mother, his job, not your job. You don't have to get in her face. You shouldn't get in her face. Don't give her another reason to get in his face. She's already mad about his lifestyle choices, right? If you go in there with guns blazing and you are what would seem to her a crazed, kinky, bi, poly bitch to her when all you're really doing is defending yourself and defending him, it just gives her more grist to complain to her son about you and the way you treated her. 
la, 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 la. Don't hand her that stick to beat your boyfriend with. Nice, kind, polite, chatty in person. Letter explaining in a friendly, loving, supportive way. The difference is between bi-poly kinky and raping children. A couple of books in the mail and a lovely note and then back the fuck off and let him worry about his mother. You worry about your mother. Hello, Dan. I am a 20-year-old female. I'm kind of in a pickle right now. I just got a phone call from my ex-boyfriend. I met when I was 22. We dated for four years. It was really good. Um, he moved to grad school with me to be with me. We lived together for a year. But it's kind of an issue of him not being a grown-up. And I basically ended up breaking up with him at my best friend's wedding when he got really wasted and embarrassed me. And since then, I've been dating somebody else who is older and sort of more responsible. But I, I can't forget about this guy. And he called me tonight. And he told me he was still in love with me. And he wants to fly me out to the city he's living in. And um, I'm not really so happy in the situation I'm in right now. I'm just sort of wondering if, if you would say it's allowed for me to get on a plane and go see this person and if I should tell this guy I'm dating right now or if I should not tell him or if um, I should go at all. Um, if you think it's fair sort of request to ask somebody to wait around while you go across the country to see if somebody else is really the person you're supposed to be with. You say you're not happy in the situation that you're in right now. You're not happy with your current boyfriend, the man you're dating. Irrespective of the boyfriend from the past calling you and telling you that he's still in love with you and then asking you to come to where he is now and see him and maybe see that he's a grown-up and he will never embarrass you at your best friend's wedding ever again and maybe think about resuming with him, setting that aside, you probably ought to end the relationship you're in right now if – it's not a happy situation. If you want out, get out. Now, maybe this guy giving you a buzz is lighting the fire under your ass that is calling the question. You're going to have to to end it. But you know, even if that guy didn't give you a call, if you're not happy in the situation you're in right now, go. You say, is it fair to ask the guy that I'm with now to wait around while I see if someone else is the person you're supposed to be with? If you're not happy in the situation you're in right now and you're not, then the person you're with right now is not the person you're supposed to be with. Regardless of whether that ex-boyfriend turns out to be the person you're supposed to be with, we know for sure that the person you are with is not the person that you're supposed to be with because you are, once again, quoting you, not happy in the situation you're in right now. So I think you should probably break up with him, the guy you're with, and then go see the dude, the boyfriend from the past. I don't think you gotta break up with him. You're dating. And one of the things people do when they date is they think about their options. They weigh them. Sometimes people, before they make a commitment, before they move in, before they marry, sometimes people will you know, turn over a rock and look at an old past boyfriend or girlfriend um, maybe they'll go out on a date or two with somebody else. These things are typically not disclosed. Relationships aren't depositions. You don't have to tell somebody everything even after you make a commitment to them to marry. You don't have to tell them what went on when you were basically making your fucking mind up. If you want to go see this other guy, the guy, the ex-boyfriend, while you make your mind up 
okay. But it, the choice that you're creating here for yourself is a false one. The choice isn't between your ex-boyfriend and this guy. It's between your ex-boyfriend, if you're seriously considering about getting back together with him, and some other guy to be named later. Because we know for sure that the guy you're dating now is not the guy you want to be with. He doesn't make you happy. So you should end it and then go see the ex. If logistically that's a, a big nightmare for whatever reason, go see the ex and then end it. But it's going to end. And remember, as you go see the ex, the choice you're making, the thing you need to think about is whether you want to get back together with your ex or you want to get back out there and keep dating until you find somebody who does make you happy. And that person isn't the person that you're with right now. Hi, Dan Savage and Pixetti at Risk Youth. I was reminded by that whole accidental anal thing that sometimes the vagina is not your strong suit. And I've been meaning to offer help to the women who could use a little hands-free orgasm action because I have them and I feel like there are tips to share. Uh, so here they are. Number one, you got to feel like you're super hot. And I know that's really hard because lots of us have body image issues. So if you don't feel super hot, try to imagine that you're super hot or put on clothes that make you feel super hot. Like I'll put on a corset and then I don't even notice my belly flab and it makes me feel just luscious. Or if you think your butt is really fat, imagine there's some guy who's obsessed with fat butts and he's watching you and talking about how luscious you are. Okay, number two, women, get on top and then lean forward a little bit so your clit is rubbing up against, sort of grinding against his pelvic bone. So you've got clitoral stimulation without having to stick any hands in there. You might even want to ask him to stay still. Be like, oh, oh, baby, that feels really good. Let me just move around, just and I'm just going to use you like a sex toy. And he will probably, you know, comply if he's GGG and all that. Okay, three, get one of those lotions that heats you up and dab a little around your clit and your vulva, and it really cranks things up. Like, I'll usually have one or two orgasms. That'll take me to four or five or six. So hopefully it'll take you from zero to one. And finally, I would say make a little noise and... Perform a little. I'm not saying to fake orgasms, but sometimes it'll help crank you up a little bit if you get yourself started. And if you find it embarrassing and hard not to laugh about it, you can just moan a little and then he gets more turned on and then you're like, ooh, I'll do that more because it turns him on so much and then things are happy. Anyway, I hope that this helps someone out there. And we're going to leave it there. Thanks so much to Mistress Matisse. Also, Magnum listeners, if you have the Savage Love app, be sure to update it because you can now listen to the shows you've purchased through the app. If you don't yet have the Savage Love app, it's $1.99 at the iTunes store. 206-201-2720, that is what you know. That is the number here at the podcast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206 201 the podcast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth. We'll be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading. And remember, American Savage comes out May 28th next week. Please order your copies now and watch for me. I'm going on a big book tour. I may be coming to a city where you happen to live, and I would be delighted to sign your books. American Savage, May 28th from Dutton. Once again, thanks for downloading. Talk to you next week.